First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. The Bible says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. And then I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 20. may not sound like to you that it's connected to the verse we just read, but there is a connection. And uh, we'll get into these verses in a little while. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 20 says this, For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Both your body and your spirit belong to God. He bought them. Many times Christians only think about our spirit, but he bought our body as well. And the Bible tells us that we ought to glorify God in that body that belongs to him. And there are those who focus only on the body. But we're commanded to glorify God in our spirit. So we can have everything right on the outside and have a bad spirit. And we still have a long way to go. Well, praise God. Amen. And so our first lesson in this series, we're just simply going to title Your New Life. Your New Life. Praise God. Would you now put your Bibles down, lift your hands, lift your voices. Would you ask the Lord to speak to you and ask him to help me today. I need his strength. I need his touch. Let's, let's ask the Lord to talk to us today. Can we ever? We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's worship him together, everyone. Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, let's praise him. Let's praise him. Let's praise him. Let's praise him. Hallelujah. Oh, let's lift him up right now. Everybody, come on. Let's work our way into the presence of God right now. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I want you this morning as we begin this lesson that I've entitled Your New Life. I want you to think with me for just a moment. And I'm going somewhere here. I'm going to draw a parallel 
But I want you to consider with me the experience of a natural birth. Uh, I've said many times that I've been present when um, my children were born and uh, my grandchildren, uh, all three of my children, all nine of my grandchildren, I've been as close as I could be uh, to that birthing process. And there was always something that uh, I was waiting for. Now, I don't know that they still do it this way. This is, uh, you know, I'm an old man now, and I'll soon be 63, and, and uh, that, that makes me an old man, and I'm not ashamed nor embarrassed by it. Praise God. I mean, let's be honest. People try to make me feel good, say you're not old, but you know when you were in your 20s, people in their 60s were considered old. Now, they may not have considered themselves old, but we considered them old when we were in our 20s. So I'm just going to own the title and be happy with it. It's taken me 63 years to get here. I'm not ashamed of it. Praise God. But I can tell you that some things have changed drastically in the 63 years that I've been alive. And, what, been alive, and one of those is what happens in that delivery room, or now they say birthing room. Uh, in that delivery room, it used to be that when that baby made its grand appearance and discovered America or whatever country it was born in, uh, the, the doctor would hold it up by its ankles and give it a firm swat to the backside. And the baby would let out a scream and begin to cry. And nobody got mad about it. Nobody was upset. In fact, mama was smiling. Daddy was smiling if he was still standing on his feet and had not passed out by now. I mean, everybody's happy. They're happy that the baby's crying. Now, you know, I, I don't know. I, I remember years ago in college, uh, one of my, my instructors um, his wife had had a baby and they had an older child and I remember him uh, relating to us. He was my Greek teacher and he was just telling the class one day a funny little incident that had taken place. He said they were pushing the youngest baby in the stroller and the other one was walking alongside and the, 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 the older one looked up and said, you know, said, I, I wonder, I wonder how the baby thinks. I mean, does she think in English? And the instructor laughed and said, well, she sure isn't thinking in Greek. But maybe you've never stopped and thought about what does go through a baby's mind. There's no real comprehension of a lot of things, and, and so we don't really know what's going on. But if somehow we could, could grant to that baby some sort of comprehension and understanding of its surroundings and what's going on. Can you imagine what the child thinks? Their first few seconds outside their mama's womb and the first thing that happens is they experience pain, they're crying from the pain, and everyone else is smiling that they're crying. 
It's a confusing situation for the newborn. But you see, they're not happy that the baby's crying per se. They're happy that the cry is a signal that breath has come into the lungs. The baby's now breathing. It's alive. It survived this birthing process. Right? Now the baby doesn't understand that. And as happy as mama may be that the baby's crying now, I can guarantee you that somewhere within the next six months, she's going to get tired of hearing that cry. <laughs> and she's not going to be smiling when the baby's crying. She wants to solve the problem. She knows that the cry is the result of some problem. I remember our oldest, and we were, you know, new parents. If you've experienced that, you know what it's like. You want to be the perfect parent. You, you pay close attention. I can remember uh, when, when my firstborn came along, I was the first one on my feet the moment there was a whimper out of that bassinet. When that baby cried, I was on my feet. I was wide awake. I was there. I, I can remember that happening now. I can't brag that that continued on through the next two, but, but with the first one that came, I'm telling you, I, I, I was alert, I know. And I do remember one time that, uh, and, and our, our baby had had a lot of problems with colic, and they had this medicine they gave them, um, paragoric, is that what it was? I don't know. Some, some kind of medicine that they, that they would give the child to, to help cure this colic, and and uh, our, 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 our daughter started crying and, and my wife had changed her diaper and we'd done everything we needed to do and, you know, tried to, 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 to burp the baby and tried to do everything we could do and nothing would stop the crying. And finally we decided it must have been, it, it must have been about with colic and so started giving her paragoric and that didn't quiet her down. And, and, and we, we did everything we knew to do and she kept crying. And finally, upon closer inspection, we found out, now this is, this is before pampers and loves and, you know, this was the old cloth diapers that you had to wash out. And, and we had to use safety pins to hold them together. See, I told you I was old. Some of you younger ones don't even know what I'm talking about. You've never seen a cloth diaper. And that's not something they put in a museum. So, um, but we had to use safety pins to hold the diapers. And one of the pins had come open and was poking the poor little baby. And, and that's why she was crying. But, but uh, we finally got that resolved and, and got her quieted down. But my point is this, that Although the crying at first may be a happy thing, as the baby continues to cry, it's a sign that something's not right. And, and the crying gets wearisome, and it gets tiresome. But yet the parent doesn't give up on the child just because, oh no, it's two o'clock and the baby wants to be fed. We don't just scream, shut up from the other room and and, uh, you know, go find something to play with. That, that doesn't happen. You understand 
that the baby needs attention, that it cannot fend for itself. Now, now listen to me. This is why I say even people that have been in the church can benefit from these lessons because obviously I'm going to try to draw a parallel to a spiritual birth. And let me tell you, those of us that have been in the church for any length of time, it's easy for us to forget about how helpless a spiritual baby is and to grow weary of constantly having to try to pamper them and help them. We, we forget that they are spiritually still helpless and they need our attention and they need lots of attention. I can't tell you how many people that I've worked with, worked with, worked with, worked with for months that suddenly one day start looking at new converts and start coming down on them, telling them how wrong they are because they do this and how wrong they are because they look this. And, and, and I mean, they want to line them out. I've even had them come to my office. Why do you put up with them doing this? Well, I'm glad when they come to my office to do it. Because it's then I can say, do you remember how long I put up with you doing that? Have you forgotten? Well, yes, many people do. We forget about our own struggles once the struggle is over. And we expect everyone else to just adjust. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Again, sometimes saints can feel like, well, the pastor, you know, is, he, he walked right past me to go speak to somebody new. Look, don't feel bad about that. They need more attention than you do. You ought to be able to come to church and not have somebody pat you on the back every time you walk in the door if you've been around the church for a while. Let me get to the new folks. Let me spend time with the new folks. I'll always have time to answer your questions. But we've got to deal with the babies. And sometimes they're not even born yet. And that also requires some special attention. Now, in time, you know, after uh, just a little while, the, the, that baby in that birthing room or delivery room or whatever, uh, at some point there in that nursery, they... They, they begin to open their tiny eyes and squint up at the bright lights, lights that are brighter than anything they've ever, ever in their existence uh, been able to witness before. And, and, and then it's going to be a matter of several days to weeks before they're able to focus those eyes and, and really start figuring out shapes and, 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 and look at things and follow things. And, and, and you know, they... Again, if we could somehow give some comprehension to that child, it's no doubt thinking, what in the world has happened to me? What is going on here? Who are these stupid people that keep making all these weird noises and sticking out their tongue at me? Hello? Trying to make the baby smile, trying to make the baby laugh, and we're, we're doing all these weird noises and all these funny faces and and, and if we could somehow, you know, get some comprehension and understand what that child could be thinking, especially right after birth, thinking, what an experience I just went through. 
was a struggle just to get here. Well, what is this? Well, if, if the baby could ask a question and if the baby could understand, the best response that we could give would be welcome to your new life. This is life. You've been given something that is brand new. It's untarnished. It's unspotted. Right now, there's nothing on your record. You get to determine from, from, from today forward what you're going to make out of this beautiful gift that God has given to you. But listen to me, baby. You've only got one opportunity to live. Make the most of it. Don't waste this beautiful gift that God has given. Now, let's take that and make some spiritual parallels. Let me tell you, no matter how many years a person has lived physically, they've just begun to live in the spirit once they have been born again. My own grandmother was 77 years old. She had lived 77 years on this earth when she finally repented of her sins, was baptized in Jesus' name, and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you, she lived for 77 years, but she really started living at 77. That's when her real life began. And can I tell you, I, I have a wonderful testimony. She didn't live many months after that, but the few months she did live, you know what she did? She spent most of her time writing to her, her 10 or 11 kids that were still alive. She was writing letters to them, telling them about what happened in her life and what they needed to do to be saved. Praise God. Amen. Listen, this is a new life because Jesus said this in John chapter 3 and verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, did you notice, we, we as apostolics, we use this verse so much, it just kind of flows off of our tongue. But let me point this out to you again. Jesus said, except a man be what? Born again. What? Born again. Born again. There's a reason why Jesus used this terminology. Now, it was obviously something Nicodemus had never heard. And we're going to talk more about his conversation with Nicodemus later on in this lesson. But it was obviously a term Nicodemus had never heard. Jesus coined this phrase. He could have chosen any analogy he wanted to choose. He could have said, you're starting a new job. It would apply. He could have said, you're sowing new seeds. That would apply. But he said, born again. And there is no better description to what happens to a person than to say they've been born again. 
Hallelujah. You see, our first birth provides us with a nature that was handed down from our father, Adam. It's a sinful nature. Listen, you don't, you don't have to teach a child how to lie. I, I, know, I know some moms and dads think that their children have wings and halos. But you don't have to teach a child how to lie. You don't have to teach them how to steal. You don't have to teach them how to be selfish. You don't have to teach them how to be cruel. You can live a perfect example in front of them. And somehow they still figure out how to lie and steal and be cruel. You know how they figure that out? Because they're not really figuring it out. It's a part of their nature. It's what Adam handed down to us as sinful creatures. And this is why Jesus said you've got to be born again. Listen to me. I want everybody to hear what I'm telling you. Jesus said, except a man be born again. Here's what you've got to understand. You'll never get good enough to be saved. People say, well, I've got to change this and I've got to change that and I've got to before God. No, 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 no. You need to be born again and then let God help you make the changes. I need some help here this morning. Praise God. You have got to understand that's why you have to be born again. That's why you need a brand new nature. You've got to come to the understanding that it is the new birth that's going to turn you into the person you want to be. Quit trying to change your life first and come to the understanding that all I need is a spiritual birth. And if I can get a spiritual birth, God can help me become what I need to be. Praise God. This is the answer. It is a new birth. Now, listen. The analogy that I made a while ago, if we could you know, put in that baby's mind some comprehension and if we could hear the questions that might come, I want you to relate that now to a spiritual birth. Some of you, it's been so long since you prayed through. Some of you were raised in church and you've been around it even before you prayed through. But to somebody that walks in off the street... Can you imagine what their first trip to, the, to an apostolic altar is like? Can you remember? Now, for some, it didn't matter. But for the person that's reserved and shy, it was a big step for them to come to an altar. And now all of a sudden, everybody's attention is on them. Well, and you've got a person in, on one side. What happens in a birthing room? That's what happens when a newborn baby comes into the family. Do you understand? Look, asking people, you know, to, to, to just, just 
don't, don't do all that when, when I'm here. Asking them to do that is like asking a new dad, you stay away from the hospital. In fact, it's worse than that because you're really asking the mom to stay away because the church is the mom. And so we've got to understand this is a part of the birthing process. Everybody's happy. They're not, they're not. It's, yes, you are the focus of attention. Yes, you are. But for a good reason. Because everybody wants you to be born into this family. It's an act of love. It's an act of appreciation. It's a, an act of desire. They want you. Look, the worst thing that could happen in a church is for somebody to come to the altar and nobody come pray with them. I actually had that happen one time many years ago. Different church. A woman I'd worked with, had taught Bible studies to, came to the altar one Sunday morning. She knelt down to pray. People had prayed for a few minutes and they all got up and went back to their pew. In a few minutes she looked up and she looked around and nobody was around. And she got up and she walked away. And when I went to speak to her, she said, I'm sorry for taking up everyone's time. I don't know that she ever came back to church. The worst thing that could happen is for nobody to want to pray with you. Because that really says nobody cares about you. They don't want you born into this family. If nobody's willing to pray with you, there's no excitement about a birth coming. So understand what's going on. And, and, and also understand that when it happens, there are going to be questions. There are going to be things you don't understand. Now look, we don't expect a newborn to be able to figure everything out. We don't, once the baby's born, drop the keys off at the nurse's station and say, you know, um, I'll, I'll leave this map here give this to the baby, let them follow the map, drive themselves home when they're well. Right? We don't expect that because they don't understand. Now at some point in their life, we expect them to get a driver's license. At some point in their life, we don't want them to be totally dependent on everybody else. But not when they're newborn. And not for a long time after. Church, I want you to think in the sense of, of natural birth. I want you to think about something for a minute. How long does it take for a baby to become self-sufficient? Lots of years. And yet we expect somebody to get the Holy Ghost and become an automatic saint overnight. We're disappointed if they don't show up for every service and every prayer meeting. 
We're disappointed if they walk in, they don't look apostolic or they're not worshiping like they ought to. We, we, we think that the minute they get the Holy Ghost, that ought to just transform them into full-blown apostolics. It doesn't work that way. Again, Jesus used this terminology of being born again. We've got to keep that in our minds. It takes years to make a saint. And we should not grow weary with the process. And that newborn should not grow weary with the process. You don't become a physical giant overnight. Was it, was it Brother Waldrop that um, one, one night said to Xander, don't worry, one day you'll, you'll be as tall as your sister. They're twins. She's noticeably taller. But this happens in life. It's just a biological fact in spite of science now trying to tell us there are no biological differences. They don't want to follow the science, do they? It's a biological fact that there's a certain uh, age that girls tend to grow faster than boys. I mean, it's, it's not a big deal when you walk into some elementary classrooms and all the girls tower over all the boys. At some point, that usually, for many people, changes. Some of us never did grow quite as tall as we'd hoped. I remember Bishop Howard looking at my grandson one day and, and looking at his dad and then looking at me and he said, there's just not much hope that you're going to get much taller. <laughs> this is just the way it is for some of us. It just didn't work that way. But, but still, what we've got to understand, you don't grow up overnight. And that's just as true spiritually as it is physically. Don't expect to receive the Holy Ghost one day and start having dreams and visions and revelations and, and open your Bible and understand every word of it. Don't expect those things to happen overnight. There's a growing process. And it takes years. You know, the Bible says that the righteous shall be like a tree. Have you ever thought about that? A tree. I only see a couple heads nodding. Well, I see some other heads nodding, but somebody needs to wake them up. Um... But have you ever really thought about being likened to a tree? You know, I, one day I got to looking into and doing some research on trees and, and found that for, for an oak tree, it takes 30 years. 30 years for an oak tree to mature. 30 years. I'm just letting that sink in. And the righteous shall be like a tree. Sometimes the greatest spiritual mistake that new converts make is they try to go too far too fast. And they're not ready for it. In fact, 
Let's read 1 Peter 2 and 2 again. This was in my text. Let's read it again. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Now, a couple things that we need to note in this. First of all, as a babe, you should desire milk. You don't serve that newborn a steak dinner. Right? Their digestive system is not ready for it. In fact, their teeth are not ready for it. Going to have a hard time chewing it. They're not ready for steak. You know what they need? Milk. But I've watched new converts sometimes, they want to go, they want to skip the milk and get right into the steak. And you know what happens? Many times they choke. Because they're not ready. I want to get into prophecy. I want to get into, I want to, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm going to tell you, I'm not even mature enough after 50 years to get into prophecy. I'm just kidding. I'm mature enough. I just don't have a whole lot of desire. That's, that's the truth. Uh, I, I am of the opinion that much of end time prophecy uh, will be better understood as it takes place or after it takes place. I've watched too many men name too many false prophets, too many antichrists that didn't come to pass. I'm, I'm not worried about identifying the Antichrist. I just want to be able to identify the real Christ. I want to be ready when he comes. When the Antichrist comes, if I'm ready for Christ to come, I'll be ready for the Antichrist. Whether we see him or not, that's another debate for another lesson that gets more into stake, and we're not going there today. All right. Now... In the midst of all this milk, I am trying to throw at least a few pieces of, well, I start to say baloney, but it's not really baloney. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to at least give you a little bit of hamburger here in the midst of all of this, all right? But, but understand, understand that you should desire that milk. Don't get in a rush to go deeper, but be hungry for the milk. Learn how. To take what's given. You may not understand every message that's preached. But don't get discouraged and quit listening. If you've got questions, ask the pastor. I don't mind taking time to answer questions. I'm telling you, the teacher in me, I really enjoy answering if the question's worthwhile. I, I will be honest. I'm admitting my fault in front of God and everyone. I have very little time for um, um, questions that gender strife. I have very little time for things that only create greater debates and arguments. I, I, I really, I have such low tolerance for all of that. 
I feel like that as children of God, we've got far more important things to be focused on than to get caught up in every debate. I, I, I know a man years ago, he wanted to ask every preacher he saw, could Jesus have sinned? Could Jesus have sinned? What do you think? Could he have sinned? And if they said, yes, he could sin, sin, then they'd take the side, no, he couldn't, and argue. If they said, no, he couldn't, then they'd take the side, yes, he could, and they'd argue. They just wanted to argue. I'm not like that. My answer is, he didn't. End of discussion. I don't care whether he could or could. I'm not interested in the debate. All I know is that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. That's all I need to know. He didn't sin. He's the only perfect man. That's all I need to know. Don't try to drag me into your debate. Now, once in a while, I will get fed up enough and finally just do my best to put an end to it as I did with the whole question over the holidays. But that's not me. It's really not my personality. It's not what I like to do. I don't like debate. I don't like argument. Hallelujah. But if you've got a serious, sincere question, I actually, I had a man that I pastored some years ago that was, that was uh, very seriously hearing impaired. And he wore hearing aids, but, but the PA system distorted everything for him. And he missed so much of what was being said that he would literally think that I said the exact opposite of something I had said. And so every Monday morning, every Monday morning, he and I would sit down and I would go back over whatever he had a question about that he thought I said so that I could explain it to him. And he might have missed a word like not that can change everything. Like saying you should not do this. You missed the word not. It suddenly becomes you should do this. And, and it was just that words would become distorted and he wouldn't hear them. And then he would miss so much. And I never regretted nor resented spending time with that. And he was a new convert. Never, never regretted or resented spending time with him to answer those questions. Thank God when he died, he died full of the Holy Ghost. Now, eventually, we figured out ways to help him. We, we finally found a system that could just bypass all the hearing aids and, and he could hear directly what was coming through the PA system. And uh, he had to wear a set of headphones to do it, but, but he could sit in every service and hear every word that was spoken. And, and it resolved the problem. But I'm thankful for that time that I spent with him as a new convert or else he may have given up and walked away. I'm telling you, don't, 
don't hesitate. If you've got a question about something that's being preached, don't hesitate to come ask me. I've had people say, I don't want to bother you. But you know, it's more of a bother to think that you're sitting at home stewing over something that could be answered very easily. Well, praise God. I, you know, that's, I've, I, I don't ever want people to be afraid to talk to me. I don't ever want people to be afraid to approach me. I don't want to be that kind of man. Praise God. All right. Uh, we're, as I said, we're, we're, we're kind of dealing with some basic things here this morning, but stay with me. I, I'm going to, I'm not going to get through all these pages of notes, I can tell you that, but, but I'm not worried about it. We're going to cover what we need to cover. We're, we'll take whatever time we need to take. But I think that these things are necessary for us. I think they are important for us. Just as a natural baby has a tremendous appetite, you should have an appetite for the Word of God. You don't have to understand everything in the Bible to glean things from the Bible. You really don't. In fact, I encourage you, just read it. If you don't understand it, mark it. Write down a question. But don't quit reading. Somewhere along the way, you're going to find something that's going to help you. In fact, you know, as much as I want people to read their Bible through every year, and I really do, but for a new convert, sometimes the best thing you can do is to take a month and read just Psalms and Proverbs. You can do that by reading one chapter in Proverbs every day. There's 31 chapters. So if you've got a month with 31 days, one chapter of Proverbs every day. If you'll read five Psalms every day, there's 150 psalms. 30 days, you'll get through 150. Now, Psalm 119 is a day in itself. So you might have to just save that one for one day. And if you're doing a 31-day plan, you know, read through 118, do 119 one day, and then pick up and, and uh, do the rest of that um, the next day or Skip ahead and do 120 uh, one day and then do 119. But you'll still get it done in 31 days, whatever you do. But, but you'll find things in Psalms and Proverbs that are going to help you and you're not going to have a whole lot of trouble understanding them. The basic issues of life are pretty much all covered in Psalms and Proverbs. They really are. And if you'll just take the time to read those books... And that's one reason why for the children's Bible reading chart, we've got the New Testament, but we've also got Psalms and Proverbs. Because I feel like it's beneficial for all of them. All right? Now, as you feed on the milk of God's Word, you're going to grow. Now, we, we read 1 Peter 2 and 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. Right? That you may grow thereby. Now, 
we, we read on in another of Peter's epistles, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. But grow in grace. Everyone say grow. Everyone say grow. Listen, this is your goal as a child of God is to grow. You don't want to stay the same. You want to grow. Now, there's a lot of areas to grow, and again, that's another lesson for another day. We'll cover some of those things, but, but let me just throw this out there just as food for thought. The Bible says of the man Christ Jesus that he increased or grew in wisdom. Everyone say wisdom. In stature. Everyone say stature. In favor with God. Everyone say favor with God. And favor with man. Everyone say favor with man. That's four areas that the Bible says the man Christ Jesus increased or grew in. Those are four areas we ought to strive to grow in. We ought to strive to grow in wisdom. We ought to strive to grow in spiritual stature. That's spiritual maturity. We ought to strive to grow in the favor of God. Doing more and more to please Him. And less and less to displease Him. And we ought to strive to grow in favor with man. What are the two great commandments? Love God and love your neighbor, right? That's what it all boils down to. Jesus said on these two things hang all the law and the prophets. Every scripture that you want to look at, any, any command thou shalt, thou shalt not, anything that's written there, I'm telling you, it can be put into one of those two categories. It's either about loving God or it's about loving your neighbor. Everything fits under those two categories. Jesus said on these two hang all, all the law and the prophets. I'm telling you, sometimes we forget about growing in favor with men. And we get this attitude, well, I don't care what they think. Maybe we should. Maybe we should be concerned. First of all, about what our brothers and sisters think. Because we don't want to put a stumbling block before them. But we should also be concerned about what sinners think. Because we want to be a light to them and we want to draw them into the kingdom of God. And if we've got a sour disposition, we're hard to get along with, we're short-tempered, oh, Jesus, help me. See, this is not all just for new converts. If we're doing those things, it's going to be hard to win those people to God. Well, all right, I got to move on. You know, I, I've, I've heard many stories of kids that um, they, they, they get this feeling, I'm just not growing, I'm not, I'm not growing, I'm not growing. And, and maybe they, their family had a custom of 
taken them, you know, they, they had a place on the door frame or the wall where they'd mark their height ever so often. And, and when that, that child would start feeling like, well, I don't feel like I'm growing, they'd just go and stand against that, uh, those marks and see that they're uh, an inch taller than what they were the last time they stood there or whatever. And they realize there is growth taking place. You don't see it yourself. So let me say again to those that maybe are newer in the kingdom of God, don't feel frustrated that you don't think you're making the progress that you ought to make. We never see our own progress. Or rarely ever, I should say. Rarely ever do we recognize. Anybody that's ever struggled with weight knows that you rarely recognize your own gains. <laughs> I, one of my trips to Africa, uh, I, I just got to be honest with you. I, I did my best to let the Lord set a watch at my mouth and guard the door of my lips. But there was one guy that, I mean, from the minute that I got out of the vehicle and he saw me for the first time in months, he said, wow, the bishops gained a lot of weight. I didn't say anything. So then we walk on into the crowd and he's, man, the bishops gained a lot of weight. And after about three or four times of saying that, I'm thinking, you know, I really need to do something about this. <laughs> Not to him, to me. But a lot of times we don't recognize it. We say the washing machine shrunk our clothes, right? <laughs> They just don't make, I heard, I heard a man say one time, they just don't make a 46 like they used to make them. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he was serious when he said it. Now maybe that's the case. I don't know. I don't know. But, but, but look, the fact of the matter is change in us is so subtle from day to day that we don't usually realize it. Right? I saw a couple of, of, of um, great nieces the other day, and, and I marveled at how tall they were. I hadn't noticed the growth in them. But to them, probably if you ask them, they're, they're thinking, I'm not any bigger than I was yesterday, you know. <laughs> but I hadn't seen them in a while. And you recognize over time a greater amount of growth. My point is this. You as an individual probably are not going to recognize the strides that you do make. Don't let the devil use that to discourage you and make you feel like you're not making any progress. You say, but I did something really dumb. Yeah, and, and how long have you been in church? Three years. Oh, so you don't think a three-year-old is ever going to do anything dumb? It wasn't dumb to the three-year-old. It made perfect sense to the three-year-old. Hey, I've watched 18-year-olds do things that made perfect sense to them. That I'm thinking, how could you be so dumb? 
But they don't have the years of experience. Because you know what? When I was 18, I did some dumb things. Some things I'll tell you about and laugh. Some things I hope you never find out. So I'm telling you, just because you do something that you're ashamed of, you're embarrassed about, doesn't mean you should throw in the towel and quit. Ask yourself, look at the time that you came into the church. Say, how long has it been? Seven years? So you don't think a seven-year-old is going to have some missteps? Ten years? You don't think a ten-year-old is going to have some missteps? Come on, please, church, I'm just asking you, use a little bit of common sense in all of this. Whether you're the individual making the mistakes or you're an established, mature saint looking at somebody else, put them in terms of natural birth and natural growth and ask yourself, is there room for some tolerance here? Well... There should be. There should be. All right, so I told you that we were going to talk more about this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, and, and I want to do that. I want to go back now uh, to this, um, again, just to look at this whole experience of new birth, the reason why um, it's called new birth, and, and again, to help you to understand that it's going to take time for you to grow, it's going to take time. But, but listen, let me, I, I do want to say this. Before we move on, I want to say this. That really sometimes, if you stop and think about it, you'll find yourself dealing with a situation in a better way than you did, say, a month ago. A lot of times you don't realize it, but sometimes you stop and say, hey, wait a minute. A month ago, I know what I would have done in this situation. I handled it much better this time. Maybe I am growing. So the way you handle situations, the way you handle problems, your faithfulness to God's house, your involvement among the church family, your concern for those that are lost, all of these are little check marks. That as you start seeing these things get better, that's a sign of growth. Now, you still might mess up. You still might make some mistakes. But it doesn't mean you're not growing. All right? So now let's talk about this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. John chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is that Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. This means he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was basically uh, the Jewish court or legislative system, I, about the best way. Now, they, they were under Roman governmental control, and so they were limited in what they could do. But as far as the religion of the Jews, the Sanhedrin was the highest body of authority in their religion. 
right? They made all the decisions for all the Jews everywhere. Now, the Bible says that Nicodemus was one of these men. He was a very influential and very powerful man. But yet he came to Jesus. He came to Jesus. Why would a man of great influence, great authority, and probably great wealth come find this lowly teacher? Now, remember, he was called Jesus of Nazareth. Look, we use that terminology loosely. We don't understand. That's really more of, of an insult than anything else. When they called him Jesus of Nazareth, now, it, it, the, the apostles kind of latched onto it and made it a thing of, of, of honor. Uh, there were times they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, right? So, but, but in the beginning, it was really kind of a term of derision because Nazareth was this small... A uh, bumpkin town, if you please. That's why when someone said, come and meet Jesus of Nazareth, someone said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That was the mindset of the people of Israel in that day. They looked at Nazareth like your backwoods, hillbillies. These are the uneducated. Lower middle class, probably. I wouldn't say poverty stricken necessarily. I, I mean, after all, Joseph had a business. He was a carpenter. There are actually ancient writings that refer, I was surprised to learn this in all of my studies of late of archaeology and, and uh, all that, but there, there's actually ancient writings that refer to some of the, the things that Joseph made. That it was known to be reliable and would last. Joseph obviously had a, a good business. I don't think he was wealthy. he was wealthy, he probably wouldn't have stayed in Nazareth. But I would say probably lower middle class, somewhere around there, if we have to put a stratus to it. But, now where was I going with all that? You're supposed to know. Nazareth. Yeah, Nazareth, when they call him Jesus of Nazareth, they're really, they're trying to remind everybody where he came from. That, that really, you know, that, there, I mean, what do you expect? A teacher coming from Nazareth? So what would lead a man like Nicodemus, a ruler, a man of authority, a man of power, a man of prominence, and as I said, no doubt wealth, to come and seek out this lowly teacher from Nazareth. 
There's only one thing that I can think of that would make him come. There must have been a stirring in his heart that said, in spite of all of my religion, there's got to be something more. This man has something I don't have. This man has something the Sanhedrin doesn't have. He's got answers they can't come up with. Now it's interesting that he came to Jesus. Can you put that verse back up there again? Verse 2. Notice this. He did come to Jesus, but he came to Jesus by night. That's significant. It seems to me that Nicodemus may have been just a little bit maybe embarrassed or maybe afraid, if not embarrassed, maybe afraid because as a member of the Sanhedrin, he knew how the rest of the Sanhedrin felt about Jesus. And he may have been afraid he was going to lose his place of power and prominence and position and therefore wealth. I don't know why he came by night, but he came by night. But in spite of whatever drove him there, I want you to notice the attitude of this man. First of all, he calls him a rabbi. That is the term that the Jewish people use for their teacher, their lead instructor. He gives him a title of honor. He may be a lowly man from Nazareth, but I have no doubt he's a great teacher. Furthermore, he said, we know, that's interesting again that he speaks in the plural, so I don't know who else is included in the we. And maybe it was just his way of kind of beating around the bush and not coming right out and saying I. But by using we, he, that means I am included. He says, I know that you're a teacher, but not just any teacher. You came from God. Nobody can do the miracles that you do unless God is with him. Now as, as a member of the Sanhedrin, listen, as a member of the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus had to have a very thorough knowledge of the Old Testament. He had to know the scriptures through and through because they're going to judge everything based on the scriptures. You follow me? That's, that's their line of judgment. They are the court of the Jewish religion. They had to know the law of the Jewish religion. And he understood enough about the scriptures to know there's something different about this man. And nobody can do the miracles that you do. Unless God is giving you that power. Nicodemus had in his heart 
desire, a hunger. He made an acknowledgement. But Jesus saw through everything and cut to the heart. Jesus knew it took more than religion. And so we pick up with verse 3. Read. Jesus answered now, and now said to him. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. You understand, I know this is really deep, but hang on. Verse 3 follows verse 2. I know, really deep, really deep. Verse 2, all Nicodemus said. He didn't say, how do I, what do I need to do to be saved? He never asked a question about his soul's condition. I think that Nicodemus felt like there's something more. But I'm okay with my religion. I just want to understand what else there is. But Jesus, again, went to the heart of the matter. Jesus, and I love this, Jesus answered. Now, where was the question in verse 2? An answer comes to a question, right? Where was the question in verse 2? It's not spoken. But Jesus knew it was there. So Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, 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 verily I say truly, unto thee, Truly, truly, I tell you, Except a man be born unless again, Unless a man is born again, He cannot see he the kingdom of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God. How that must have rattled Nicodemus' world. See, this whole term, and I don't have time to go into this, but this whole term of kingdom of God was something the Pharisees were using a lot. They, they spoke a lot about the kingdom of God. This was not something Jesus created. It was not a term that he came up with. They used the term kingdom of God. And they used it to represent being under God's kingship. You understand? It's like saying that you're in the kingdom of Great Britain. What does that mean? That means that there is a kingdom there and you're a citizen. You therefore have to abide by the laws of that kingdom. That's the way that the Pharisees used the term kingdom of God. It was to say God is our king. And, and it's interesting they would do that because, see, they resented Herod as a king. So I think that's probably, Brother Goff, part of why they started using, because it was around that time of Herod's kingship that this term came into being. And I think probably it was in part in response to the fact that Herod was calling himself the king of the Jews. It's also interesting that that's the term the wise men used when they came to Herod. Where is he that's born king of the Jews? Yes, You're not the king of the Jews, Herod. Oh, my, my. The one that was born is. You're not. 
No wonder Herod hated him so much. Herod was a troubled man anyhow. That's another story for another day. Herod had lots and lots of problems psychologically, physically. But anyhow, so the, the Pharisees started using this term, the kingdom of God, to show that God was their king. But the only way that God could be their king is if they're living by the laws of the kingdom. So if you didn't live by the laws of the kingdom, then God's not your king. Now Jesus comes along and says, unless you are born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Whoa. You talk about. A blow to the head. What? I've got to be born again to even see this kingdom? Yeah, you really do. Now Nicodemus didn't understand the phrase. He didn't understand the terminology. And so he asked a question. Now we find the first question Nicodemus actually asks. Verse 4. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Okay, so now Nicodemus starts asking questions because this term born again doesn't make any sense to him. He only knows of one kind of birth. Don't look at Nicodemus as some dummy. Don't belittle him for asking how can... When he's ever in his life used the term birth, the only way it's ever been used is a natural birth. And Jesus said you gotta be born again. He's not thinking in terms of a phrase born again. He's thinking in terms of an action born and doing it again. So he said, how can this happen? You're telling me I can't even see the kingdom unless I have another birth? How can I be born again? Can I somehow get back in my mother's womb? I, this makes no sense. So Jesus did what? Verse 5. Jesus answered. Jesus. Now notice, he answered. Now this time it was a response to a question. The question was, how can a man be born when he is old? How can I be born again? That's the question. Jesus answered the question. How did he answer it? Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now look, I, 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 my time is up. You're going to have to come to the music. My time is up. I, this is an awkward place to close, but um, I've I got to close for time's sake. But listen, the Bible says in the book of Romans that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is what? It's righteousness and peace and joy. How? In the Holy Ghost. So the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The Pharisees are thinking, the only way you can be in God's kingdom, you've got to keep God's law. Jesus said the only way you're going to even see God's law the way he intends for it to be seen. And the only way you're ever going to get into that kingdom is through 
being born of water and being born of the spirit you've got to be born again you're not going to do it by just keeping the letter of the law that doesn't put you in God's kingdom because God's kingdom is not an earthly kingdom it's a spiritual kingdom he didn't come to overthrow Herod he didn't come to overthrow Julius Caesar he came to overthrow the one that's sitting on the throne of our hearts he's here to transform us and to put us into a spiritual kingdom and that can only happen when we are born again we've got to be born of water we got to be baptized in Jesus name we got to be born of the spirit we must be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues there's no other way to get into God's kingdom except to be born of water and of spirit That's it. That's it. Nicodemus had a religion and religion wasn't good enough. And Jesus let him know, uh-uh, it's not about religion. It's about a spiritual experience. It's about starting all over. Hallelujah. 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 I've had people say, oh, if I could only start my life over. Oh, if I could only start my life over again. Start with a clean slate. You can. If you'll repent of your sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in tongues, friend, you get a brand new start. Nothing you've ever done in all of your life. I'm telling you, 77 years of sinful living. And my grandmother, believe it or not, even for way back in the 50s and 60s, 70s, that, 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 uh, the, the 60s and 70s when I was alive, I wasn't alive in the 50s. I don't want to, I'm an old man, but not an ancient man. Praise God. Not saying anybody that's born in the 50s is ancient. I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to clarify. Uh, 50s, you, you just, old like me praise God still young at heart maybe 40 still you know I mean we, we keep going my mom insists she's not old and she's she just turned 89 but she's not old she says um, so even back to the 30s I guess you're not ancient yet um, but 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 anyhow here's what I want you to know is that for my grandmother 77 years of sinful living. And what I started to say was, even back then, my grandmother could outcuss a sailor. It was unusual for women to be that way, but my grandmother was. And, and um, but I'm telling you, 77 years. But when she repented of those sins, and she got baptized in Jesus' name, and the Lord filled her with the Holy Ghost, she had a clean slate. There was nothing on her record from that moment. Praise God. I'm telling you, this is what God gives to us in this thing called new birth. It really is a new life. It's a new life. It's not supposed to be like the old life. This is where, and, and, and I've got to quit, but, but listen, this is where so many churches get it wrong. 
because they say just come and accept the Lord as your Savior and then they let people just keep living the same old life. No, no, no. This is a new life. You shouldn't live like you used to live. Alcoholics can be saved but they shouldn't stay alcoholics. Drug addicts can be saved but they can't stay drug addicts. Even murderers can be saved. But God doesn't allow them to keep on murdering. If you've been born again, you take on a new nature. If you don't have a new nature, you've not been born again. Hallelujah. Thank God for the experience of a new life. Thank God. We can start all over. What Nicodemus needed was not to change religions. He didn't need a seminar on the power of positive thinking. You know what he needed? Jesus said, you need to be born again. You need to be born again, Nicodemus. Now, I don't know whatever happened to Nicodemus. I do know he showed up again when Jesus died. I think there's some potential there because at that point he had to make a decision and they had to see him and know where he was making his stand. I think maybe when we get to heaven we may find out Nicodemus may have actually been in the upper room. I don't know. But I do know that he heard the truth. And he heard it from the one who is the truth. And the same truth that applied to Nicodemus applies to everybody under the sound of my voice. There's only one way any of us are going to get into the kingdom of God. And it's through the new birth. You got to be born of the water and born of the spirit. That's the only way you're going to get in. Let's stand today. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. If you're here today without the power of the Holy Ghost, the Lord would love to fill you. He'd love to give you that spirit. He'd love for you to experience that new birth. It's available to you. Peter said it's for you. It's for your children. It's for all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call.